Welcome to the Downstream from Religion podcast. Here we take a look at the book of Judges and show how the book highlights the problems and solutions for our modern times. Feel free to email me with comments or questions, rabbi at rabbibailey.com. You can find me on Twitter, Ian Paul Bailey, Paul with two L's, the number seven ways. And seven, the number weighs wellness. Most importantly, subscribe, tell your friends, and write a review. We are getting into Gideon, chapter 6 through 9, the most quintessential part of the book of Judges. We began our journey with the set, beginning the seven steps towards kingship. Otniel, son of Canaz, the quasi-king who could not have who could not have only used his massive power. There had to be a spiritual grassroots movement. It wasn't meant to be. Ehud came along to slay Eglon. This non-judgmental thinking, the dangers of postmodern thinking. Shamgar came about lack of safety, separating people, lockdowns and siege. Devorah, Deborah, came about the message in the medium, showing how the media, and frankly, social media. This message is really, that message from Devorah is probably the most relevant to our times, influenced by media and social media. But this week, Gideon, Gideon, and spiritual morality, the fourth step. Spiritual morality and study is the most quintessential part of the book of Judges. It has powerful and relevant messages. The story opens up with the Jewish people being pillaged, ransacked by the country, the people, Midian, as well as Amalek, names we've heard before. A man named Gideon is approached by who he thinks is a prophet. It turns out to be an angel of God. And... He's with his father hiding at the threshing floor. So why is it that the Jewish people are pillaged by Midian and Amalek to have all their physical property taken away? Why is it that Gideon is with his father? Why does he use God's name when he is speaking to the this uh, messenger of God, this angel? We do not use God's name in casual language. Furthermore, at the end of chapter 8, why is it that Gideon's achievement is undone? First, he makes this religious apron. Then people worship Baalim again. Then there is this Baal breath God, lowercase g God. What? Not mentioned before, this brand new God. Why is that so potent? And what is the main message of Gideon? You know, the story really revolves around Gideon with a large group of men going to conquer the evil, murderous Amalekites and Midianites. He forsakes the large group. God tells him to leave the large group for the... Instead, he will use a small group of people to defeat the enemy. So why, what is the you know, particular message of that, of this section? That is the story. So initially... The Jewish people here are afflicted with the blight because of something that the Jewish people mention twice a day. It's a famous paragraph 
from the five books of Moses, the Old Testament, that when people are sinners and idolaters, God brings punishment upon them that they don't have harvest and yield and livestock, etc. So this, this physical curse at the beginning of the chapter is really a spiritual curse in its root. And Amalek, this nation, is anti-religion and so is Midian. But Amalek is anti-religion, destroyer of religion. Don't believe in anything. Have doubt. Don't be passionate. And Midian is anti-religion, replacing it with a false religion. Replacing it with idolatry. So destroying religion and idolatrous religion. And indeed, in history, totalitarians and communists hire um, anarchists and street thugs to pillage and carry out their dirty work. It's no surprise it's been going on since biblical times. These are the perfect villains for our story to spotlight these spiritual issues of everyday life. And this directly relates to using God's name. It's, so it's just one half of a sentence thrown in there. But the oral tradition that the Jewish people have really highlight what's going on. You know, someone can only use God's real Hebrew names uh, for specific reasons, for prayer, for oaths, not in mundane conversation. Christians and other religions have something similar. You don't just say, gosh darn it, you don't just say, um, God casually in different special names of God, but we have specific rules about it. And in fact, there's something called the Horas Shah. So, you know, when is someone allowed to break a law? You know, someone puts a gun to your head, God forbid, and says to you, uh, you know, steal a dollar, then you steal a dollar and you don't die. Try to make restitution later. Um, sometimes there's laws that you don't die for. In Judaism, if someone puts a gun to your head and says, bow down to idols, you're supposed to die instead. If you happen to bow down, you don't get uh, punished, you are coerced. But here, it's interesting. You know, when when Elijah the prophet brings offerings on Mount Carmel, uh, it's called a harasha. It's, a, it's an emergency. He's bringing an offering outside of the temple to save Judaism, to save things to, to the prophets of the Baal are so strong God has to, do, to God has to show that the idolaters are not correct so sometimes there's a, like an emergency so it says here it's an emergency to mention God in colloquial language they, at that time they said the the rabbi said we must start doing this we must violate this little little law to keep Judaism some opinions say that it was a practice that was lost then it was revived. So what's the idea behind suddenly mentioning God's holy names in conversation? The idea is that they had to bring, they have to bring God into everyday life. It's a spiritual battle that's going on in this book. And if you do commandments and study religion, you bring God into your life. But it's also about the way you speak and the little actions you do. It says that when Joseph was sold down to Egypt. He was in a very secular place. And his master would hear him saying God's name. You know, oh, God willing. Yeah, we hope this happens. Thank you, God. That sort of thing. Bringing God into everyday life. Bringing God into the mundane. That's why it is essential. They, they were so void of real spirituality that they needed to bring God into their speech, into the mundane activities of life. And, and it's very true in our times. You know, there's such large pockets of people who don't believe. You know, I remember growing up in Seattle, people said, 
when someone sneezes, say, bless you. Don't say, God bless you. Some people don't believe. Okay, so you don't shove religion in. You don't shove religion into an atheist's um, head, agnostic atheist. They don't want to hear it. But a, a very high percentage of people are believers. That's what we have to remember. Despite what we're taught in school, university thinking, these big cities that we live in, um, many of us live in, despite what we're taught and what we're scared off of, people believe. And it's God bless you. Thank you, God. I appreciate you, God. That's how we connect the mundane existence of the spiritual. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. It must be remembered. Another way that we link our lives to the spiritual is honoring our elders. Jewish people have a tradition from me to my rabbi, his rabbis, 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 all the way to Mount Sinai when the Torah was given, when the Bible was given, and the theophany at Mount Sinai. A tradition. How do you learn respect? How do you learn religion? through, supposed to be through the parent or the father figure, mother figure, leaders in the community. So, of course, when people want to take over a society, if it's communist, if it's anarchist, etc., they go straight for the kids. Communists put the kids in their own little bunks and barracks. Don't be attached to your parents. The educational system has to brainwash them to teach them inappropriate anti-spiritual beliefs infiltration of the educational system. So here, Gideon, even though we see his father is an idolater, he is spending time with him at the threshing floor. Later on, Gideon has a brilliant move where he disproves that their gods are real by you know smashing up the gods and tearing them down. Everyone's outraged. Who did this? And he said, you know, let, let the gods themselves, let the... Uh, little knickknacks themselves bring justice. So that proved to his dad that, you know what, these are a bunch of sticks and stones and gold. This is stupid. There is no power there. It's all psychosomatic. It's all in our heads. Come on, man. That proved to him it was false. And actually, we have a tradition that that's what happened with Abraham, the first monotheist, the, the first Hebrew. The tradition says he smashed up his father's idols and said, this big one here, there's only one idol left in the room. He's holding the bat. He's the one that did it. And his father said, Oh, no, an idol can't do that. So he said, Are you listening to what your mouth is saying, Dad? Come on, man. You yourself are saying that the idol can't do anything. So how could they help us? It's a brilliant move. And this connects Gideon to Abraham and Moses. Moses is someone who showed that battle of evil is a spiritual battle, not only physical. There was a war with Amalek in the five books of Moses, mentioned in Exodus and in Deuteronomy. Uh, Joshua brings a sword and leads the Jewish fighters against Amalek. Moses stands on the mountain with his arms in the air. Aaron and Hur, the, uh, the priests, the Kohanim, hold Moses' arms up in the sky. I wonder if that's where the Jesus and the cross thing <laughs> was inspired from, right? So the original, the original arms up in the air in a T. Moses put his arms up in the air, and when the Jewish people saw his arms up, their hearts would be to heaven and they would win. When his arms were down, they would be uninspired religiously. They would not win the battle. It was not about how much iron they pumped in the gym. It was about their hearts being dedicated to God. A small army defeats a big army, just like the Hebrews, the Jews in on Hanukkah. In history... 
had a guerrilla warfare to stave off the huge Greek legions at that singular battle. So here, the ideas of Abraham and Gideon are Abraham and Moses are really connected because if you believe in one God and God is everything in the universe, however you understand that philosophically, sorry to be all parenthetical, I like to be intellectually honest, but you know, whether we're a different construct in the universe or, or part of God or whatever you believe, you know, all of it is one. If you believe everything is oneness and God created it, we're all part of the same kind. That's kindness. We're from the same kind. I should be constructive with you. There's a religious element to the unity of the universe. I should believe in God. I should study morality because everything is good. Everything is God. God good. Right? German. So there's a connection between this Abraham philosopher and the Moses ivory tower studious man. And Moses brings his study into the world. It is brought together in Gideon. Gideon is an iconoclast, literally. Smashing the statues, showing who the true God is. And he connects this to respecting one's father. Let me think about it. We're in school now. So the teacher, usually female, who's under a lot of pressure, saying, be nice, be nice, don't bother him, sit sturdy. This is a Prussian model of education. You know, real education is apprenticeship, should be in the home. 2,000 years ago, the Jewish people were sad when they had to give up their children from the home to put them in schools for training. Ideally, we should be with our parents and around our father, wrestling the steer with our father, running a trout line. It makes us physically strong. It builds testosterone. We're out there with nature. And that connects us to the tradition and to healthy masculinity, healthy maternal influence. Supposed to be with our healthy parents at home. So Gideon being there on the threshing floor with his father, honoring his father, being trained by his father is a powerful moment in tradition and in healthy paternal leadership, the physical strength. In other words, morality is not only a study, it's also bringing that into the world. So the uh, 7 2, chapter 7, verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, The people that are with you are too numerous for me to give the Midianites into your hand. If you have if you have thousands of people, the world will just say, Oh, they were they they were a big army. And lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, My own hand saved me. Israel might say, Oh yeah, I believe in God. Mm. It was the thousands of Jewish warriors that won this battle. So God says, Make it a tiny army. A few hundred people, they are going to win the victory. And interestingly, how read the story. It's very interesting how God weeded out people who should not be in the army. He had them drink from the river. If someone used their hand, they not, they they used their hand to cup and drink. They did not do an idolatrous practice. But if they bowed down on the ground and lapped it up, like an animal, like a dog, right, like a dog, or they bow down, showing that in the past they bowed down to idols, even though they might be good now. God said, get rid of your little idolatrous bowing and your dog lapping. We need people who are, we say, menches. We need people who are mature, adults, and proper. That is how they get weeded out, get rid of the idolatry. And a small group can only win if God gives them that strength, like the Maccabees on Hanukkah, etc.,
so to continue a thread about taking responsibility, Gideon asks this angel, why hasn't God been saving us? My goodness, where is God here? And what does the angel say? You know what, my friend? You will be saving us. God, don't sit around and wait for God to save you. We're going to do an action here. So we continue with that uh, personal responsibility uh, message. So getting into modern-day idolatry, I mentioned before this Baphomet, this nasty goat-headed male-female human figure. Written on there are the Latin words salve, separate, separate, and coagula, joined together. The, you know, idolatry wants to take apart the world and rebuild it in a nasty, gross uh, fashion. But this fourth step out of the seven, you know, it tells us that every little detail in your life needs to be put through the filter of religion. Now that sounds wonderful and it sounds stressful. So, you know, if somebody ends up, you know, indulging in some vice or they're still growing or they have an addiction, etc., don't, that's not a reason to be hard on yourself. God knows how much free will and how much struggle you have. It's not about the absolute commandments. It's about growing and doing your best. What I'm talking about is, you know, one or two heretical ideas that doesn't work. You know, I believe in all the commandments. That eh, one or two commandments over there. No, no, no. Throw it away. That's that's incorrect. That's exactly what intellectual analysis and religion tell us. There cannot be any little iota of heresy of destroying the world and remaking it. And that's why there are forbidden mixtures in the Bible. That's why we forbid all this mixing genders, mixing um, items in creation because it's a form of transhumanism. It's a form of destroying creation. There's, there's a really complex ecosystem. It's not a hippie naturalist type of thing. It's, it's God made the world in a certain way and we're not meant to pervert it. So we shouldn't change. We don't destroy the world. We are constructive as the world is. Unfortunately, this is exactly Gideon's undoing. Answering question number four. Gideon takes the gold, this sort of selfish physicality from these Ishmaelites, and he makes it into a religious ephod. It's a, it's a sort of an apron type, almost a breastplate, but like an apron. And he wants to symbolically show them that the physical enjoyment of this world can be made into a spiritual artifact. Unfortunately, the converse is true. When, when we have these tokens that are spiritual, they can be dangerous if they're so physical. Ideally, we're supposed to meditate and pray. We shouldn't need uh, knickknacks. I try to give an example. You know, there's this kind of in Judaism a hamsa they call it. It's sort of a outline of a hand with God's name in it. God's name in it. I, I believe that these are supposed to be visual meditative symbols. But eventually, people are like, "Oh, that necklace! I pray to the necklace. It gives me power. I wear a, a red armband. That gives me power." You know, knickknacks and artifacts can be dangerous you know Gideon was trying to compromise or be symbolic that begins a spiritual degradation next Baalim here we go again they started to fantasize about strong male physical leaders perhaps the nasty goats it's interesting though it says Vayiz new in Hebrew it says they sort of feasted their thoughts they hoard excuse my language hoard after their thoughts and in, in a Hebrew context, this is actually thoughts. It's not necessarily actions. Now, eventually they go and they do um, worship Baalim. But it's interesting that you know Gideon is trying to bring 
God into everyday life. And actually, uh, there's another book of Ruth where there's a man named Boaz, Boaz, and he was one of the people that instituted this. So during this whole season of these shoftim, these judges, they're trying to bring in God to everyday life. He's perhaps the man named Ibsan later in this book. In any event, this Boaz man is a huge figure in history, part of the Davidic dynasty to King David. Um, he actually instituted that practice of God's name in everyday life. So in our words and our actions, we're bringing God, but what was able to conquer that here is thoughts, all these fantasies about something else. So if someone has a fantasy about a desire, you know, we all have desires in our body. Don't dwell on it. I'm not talking about that necessarily, but you know, this deep hope in literal idolatry, which people do nowadays, or, you know, keeping thoughts around in our head. I always say, you know, try not to look at something you're not supposed to or think about it. If you happen to do it, don't review it. <laughs> don't review. Don't. So, you know, just try our best to get these thoughts out of our mind. And if, and if you ever, like, hear someone saying something heretical or some kind of atheistic, anarchistic show, and in a little bit you're like, oh, I'm starting to see where they're coming from. Nope, 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 nope. Just, no, that, what am I saying to myself? Ugh. Just leave it. The opposite of thinking about religion and the commandments is this sort of whoring after their thoughts. Keep our thoughts pure. Show our children pure things. It doesn't matter if it seems corny or um, too wholesome. It is important. Whatever we do as a little tiny seed, our children will grow it and make it excessive. You know, a parent can say one comment and all of a sudden your kids are joking around and making banter about it. We have to be careful. And next, this is this is crazy, but I hope to blow your mind. So they had, they worshipped Baal Brith. What is this Baal of a covenant? What does this master of a covenant mean? Listen to this. It's a fly, an idol in the shape of a fly, perhaps with little pointy things, or perhaps in a chariot, a little fly. Lord of the Flies in a chariot. Another opinion, it was a tiny little idol that you have in your pocket. You make it, you make the idol of what you want to make it into, my friend. You make what you want of it, and you keep it in your pocket, and you take it out, and you give it a big smooch. I still love my God. You know, all around me is synagogue, church. All these things are around me, but you know what? I got that little tiny pocket, little tiny pocket of indulgence, a little, little fantasy. We can't have that. Any smidgen of something that will take us away from religion is a problem. That is, it seems asinine that they'd worship a fly and that sort of thing, this Lord of the Flies. But it's actually extremely poignant because this fourth step of religion and absolute truth is essential for us. A little bit of heresy is still heresy. Again, we're not talking about, you know, temptation or mistakes. We're talking about dedication to what's wrong. Gideon. In Hebrew, a gedah is a stump, like stump of a tree. It means something that's been hacked down, hacked away. And in Jewish law, and I recommend to other faiths, no root or smidgen, no tiny particle of idolatry can remain. And now we understand why.
But on the flip side, even if spirituality is diminished, holiness has been hacked away. There is always room for that stump, that seed to regrow and become a mighty tree of spirituality. In our times, things keep looking bleaker every day, not to be confused with bleaker streets. Bleaker. Bleaker with spirituality diminished and power in the wrong hands. But we must work on the grassroots movement of spirituality towards the seven steps of kingship, bringing God into our lives. It's a spiritual war. Just as Moses' hands influenced the battle against Amalek, we must direct our hearts heavenward to achieve spiritual and physical victories, to bring the Lord into everyday life, to bring God into speech, thought, and action. I hope you enjoyed the Downstream from Religion podcast. Feel free to email me with questions or comments. Anything. Give me a shout out. Please subscribe, tell your friends, write a review. Tweet me at Twitter, Ian Paul Bailey, Paul with two L's. Number seven ways, number seven ways wellness. Find our page on Facebook. And I look forward to sharing more with you soon. This is part one of two, God willing.